Please take your Bible and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 10. As you turn there, I'd like to make an allusion to one of my favorite film actors. He's a filmmaking fiend. His name is Steve Carell. My favorite of his is Evan Almighty. It got like a one star by the critics, which usually is a sign that it's a really good movie. I don't know if you've discovered that. It was hilarious. His highly acclaimed as far as his critical acting skills is in the movie Firefox. He was awarded a nomination for Best Actor in that film. But there's another one which probably doesn't even deserve one star that he starred in. Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And featuring his son in the movie, a 12-year-old, who has this horrible day. He wakes up with gum in his hair, and then he gets dissed by his older brother, older sister, even his little brother. He's sort of the kid that's left out in the family. It's just a bad day. The girl he has a crush on at school just doesn't want to have anything to do with him that day when he goes on his birthday. And I don't even remember exactly how it turned out, but it turned out well. Today I'd like to talk about the man named Job. He did have an actual terrible, horrible no good, very bad day. In fact, his day was the worst single day probably any human being ever lived through. You may recall that this very wealthy and prominent man, he was not only one who was rich in material things, he was rich in reputation. Many times people who are wealthy are looked down upon by others. But this was not the case with Job. He had high standing with God. God describes him as the most righteous man in his region of the world. And on this particular day, all of his fortune went down the drain. He was a man who was the owner of many head of livestock. They were all destroyed in one day. And then on top of that, most of his servants were destroyed. And to make matters even worse, all ten of his children were killed in one day accident at one of the children's house. At the end of that day, we hear him worshiping of all things the Lord. And you will remember what he said. He said, naked I came forth from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord And then the writer goes on to say, commenting upon that day, that in all that he did and said, he did not resort to blaming God. He did not sin. Remarkable. Not long after that, he contracted some mysterious illness, and he thought he was going to return to where he came from, in the sense of dying, being in a void, as it were. He thought as we should think, that we will not take anything material with us when we leave this world. When our day comes to stand face to face with God, we do not take anything with us. As far as human relations are concerned, we have the perspective of the New Testament, and we know that there is some indication in the New Testament that there are going to be people whom God has used us to introduce 
to himself who will be with us in heaven. That's awesome, isn't it, to think about? That's something to look forward to, our investment in other people. So I want to ask the question this morning. What do you think is the only sure thing that you can leave this world with and take with you when your life ends? Well, this passage in Luke chapter 10, which we're looking at today, gives us the answer to that question. I'm reading from verses 38 to the end of the chapter. And I'm reading today from the New American Standard Bible and encourage you to follow along in whatever version of the Bible you have with you today. Verse 38 of Luke 10 reads as follows. Now, as they were traveling along, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And this village, by the way, is Bethany. And Bethany is on the outskirts of Jerusalem, just a few miles outside of Jerusalem. This was a home which Jesus visited more than once during his ministry, during his life. It was a home where he really felt at home. You can tell that by the way he interacts with these two sisters, Martha and Mary, and then with their brother Lazarus. They were special to him. Verse 39 says, She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. She didn't even give Jesus a chance to answer. She assumed he didn't really care, and she was going to straighten him out. Can you imagine the gall it took to do that to the Lord? Verse 41, But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. This is what is called a Hebraism. The Hebrews, when they were speaking to someone whom they really cared about, they would not just say the name once, they would say it twice. Here Jesus has been rebuked by Martha of Bethany for not chiding her little sister to get off her lazy rear end and get in the he- into the kitchen to help. And by the way, when we think of doing something purposeful, when we think of being useful, we don't usually associate it with sitting, doing, or listening. We think those activities are very insignificant. But we're going to see what Jesus says about this. Look what he says. Martha, Martha, you were worried. The word translated worried means to have a divided mind and bothered about so many things. But only one is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. What is the one thing that will never be taken away from you or me? It's told in this story. What is it? If we are listening to the Lord Jesus Christ, whenever we see Mary in the Scripture, she shows up three times, and in each instance, she's at the feet of Jesus. And this instance, of course, in her own home, there's another instance at the graveside of her brother Lazarus, and she falls at the feet of Jesus in great grief because he had not gotten there soon enough to help her little brother survive. 
And then in John chapter 12, after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead, what she does to the Lord is she gets at his feet, and this time she has a vial of perfume, very expensive perfume, and she anoints the feet of Jesus. She anoints Christ with this perfume. She's at his feet again. Also, in every one of the instances where we encounter Mary in the Scripture, there is some scent in the air. Of course, in this particular passage, the scent of food was in the air. I would imagine that was a great aroma. We know the way to a man's heart is his stomach, right? That's the old saying. Jesus really was not so interested, though, in Martha's cooking as Significant as that was, she was ministering to Jesus. And the scripture says that she was distracted by her many preparations. And the word translated distracted means to be pulled away from. That's what it means. To be detained. And she was being pulled away from Jesus with her many preparations. Actually, the word preparations... It's plural, obviously, in the English text, but in the original text, it's singular, and it's the word ministry. It's the word from which the word deacon comes. Diakonia is the word. And the idea is that she was ministering to Jesus, and her ministry pulled her away from Jesus. Imagine that. Do you understand that a person's ministry... And we're all in the ministry. If we know Jesus, we're in the ministry. That's what the Bible says. That our service to the Lord can distract us, can pull us away from the Lord. That's what has happened to Martha. But we see Mary seated at the feet of Jesus, listening to Jesus. Now, sometimes it's permissible for us to use our sanctified imagination And I really don't know what kind of face Mary had as she was listening to Jesus. But I can imagine she was transfixed as she looked at Jesus. If it was possible for her face to glow, it would have been glowing. And she was wrapped in attention. Every word she was hearing from Jesus, she was taking in. She was like a sponge absorbing all the truth which came from the Lord Jesus Christ. I would be too, wouldn't you? If Jesus came to my house, I would want to sit and listen to Him. Certainly I would want to feed Him, to give Him refreshment of some sort, to make Him comfortable. But Jesus is most comfortable, I'm sure of this, when we are sitting at His feet. And we, like Mary, are absorbed in what He has to say. Because He knows that what He says to us and our reception of what He says to us, His Word to us is something which will never be taken away from us. The one thing that you and I will take out of this life, the only thing, is the Word of Jesus Christ. It's the most important thing that we can receive and it's certainly our most Precious possession. Why is it the most important thing you and I can do in this life 
because it will be carried into the next life. I'm going to give you seven reasons I have found from the Word of God. These are not my ideas. These are straight from the mouth of Jesus himself. Remember, it's his word to us. The first is found in John 5, 24. And there are two things that Jesus says in John chapter 5, 24. You don't have to look it up. Just jot it down and listen carefully. And please refer to these things after this morning session is over. In John 5, 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word... Pause just a moment. And believes him who sent me has eternal life. Let's stop right there. Would you agree with me that eternal life is significant? I want to hear Jesus' word, and I hope you do too, because when you hear the word of Jesus Christ, what happens is if you believe what he says about himself and what God says about him, and you trust in Him, you have eternal life. And eternal life is a present possession. Notice the way in which Jesus describes eternal life. He who hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. Now, we will have it, but it begins right now. When I trust in the Lord, I receive eternal life at that moment. I remember what... Jesus said to his apostles in the Gospel of John, that chapter in John 6 tells about the feeding of the 5,000. That's a great story, isn't it? A little boy had the equivalent of a sack lunch. He had a few fishes and a few loaves of bread. That was the only food to feed 5,000 men plus many others, women and children who would have been there, And Jesus multiplied that and fed all of them. They had 12 baskets full left over. That's amazing, isn't it? And the people wanted to make Jesus king. And then Jesus began to teach them. And his teaching was hard to grasp. In fact, if it were understood, as many of them thought they understood it, they couldn't follow him anymore. And it says many of his disciples left him. And all that was left of that vast throng of people whom he had miraculously fed, those people who wanted to make Jesus king were these twelve apostles. Only twelve were left. And then Jesus looks at them. You remember what he said to them? Do you want to leave too? And then Peter, never at a loss for words, said to the Lord, he said, To whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus is the only one having the words of eternal life. So, do you see the importance of our sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to Him teach us, speak to us in His Word? In that same passage in John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. The next statement says and does not come into judgment. That's really important. So here's the second reason. We will not be punished for our sins, which we deserve to be punished for, because Jesus Christ became sin on our behalf and was punished for us. Christ died for us. That is the message of 
the New Testament, and Jesus himself proclaimed that message prior to his crucifixion and resurrection, and he is one who makes good on his word. The Bible says that we are people who are not any longer under condemnation if we are in Christ Jesus. Every one of us entered this life spiritually dead. Jesus addresses that in John 5, 24, when he says that when we believe in him, we have eternal life and we have crossed from death to life. Death that's internal to life that is eternal. Christ has given us eternal life. A third reason why listening to Jesus is the most important activity you and I will involve ourselves in is something that Paul speaks of in Romans 10, 17. He says, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of Christ. Where does faith come from? Hearing and particularly hearing from whom? From Christ. Jesus speaks to us. Paul writes this about his goal, his ambition, which should be our ambition also. He says, we make it our goal to please him. And the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11.6 says this, it's in, without faith it's impossible to please God. Do you see how critically important hearing Christ's word is so that our faith can develop? You want to get faith? Let me tell you how to get it. Listen to the word of Christ. Expose yourself to His Word. Bathe yourself in His Word. Grasp His Word. Plead for understanding of His Word. And the result will be that you will have faith and your faith will increase. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, this is what John writes. He says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even your faith. Where does faith come from? From Jesus. From hearing Jesus speak to us. Just like Mary sitting at the feet of the Lord, listening to Him. Her faith blossomed in that encounter with the Lord and in future encounters with Him as well. Here's the fourth answer to the question, what makes listening to Christ most important? It's because listening to Jesus gives us opportunity for fellowship. With him. We're all familiar probably with Revelation 3.20. Here I am, Jesus says. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he or she with me. Perhaps you know that the meal that Jesus is referring to is the leisurely meal of the day. Breakfast. In Jesus' time, the people would get up in the morning if the men were going to work in the field or away from their home in some sort of craft. What they would do, they would grab something that was left over from the night before. It would have been cold, a piece of bread of some sort, maybe a little bit of meat, and go off to work and eat on the way to work. Probably would take the equivalent of a sack lunch with him to work. And eat that rather hurriedly, a lot like we eat lunch today. But then when the day was over and the men came home from work and everyone was gathered, 
they would dine with one another. And it was an event. It was a social event. Not extravagant in the sense that we typically think of social events, but it was an event where the people had great fellowship with one another. And when Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and we will have fellowship with one another. Can you imagine Jesus coming to your house today? Let's say he shows up. You walk in after having come to the place of worship, a knock on the door. Jesus is there and he says, I've come to have a meal with you. And you'd be excited, wouldn't you? You would be delighted that Christ would come to you. That's what Jesus says to us so we can have fellowship with him. In John 6, 51, this is what we hear Jesus say. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven he who eats of this bread, he will live forever. When we come into the presence of Christ and we sit at his feet and we have fellowship with him, he speaks to us and we feed upon him in a sense. And he nourishes us. He satisfies us like no one else can satisfy us. Fellowship with Christ is ours because of His work. My sheep hear My voice, He says, and I know them and they follow Me and I give eternal life to them. They shall never perish. He says that later in the book of John chapter 10. So, so far, what have we seen would be good reasons for our spending time listening to Jesus. Well, eternal life, forgiveness of sin, Fellowship with the Lord, faith. And here's a fifth answer to the question. Answered prayer. John 15, 7, Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. That is a tremendous promise, isn't it, from the Lord? But it's contingent upon our abiding in Him. And in the context of John 15, you probably know, Jesus begins that chapter by saying, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. And he compares us who know him to branches. He's the true vine. We are branches in the vine. And when we live in him, we trust in him, we show faith in him, then what happens? He shares his life with us. And his words come into our life. I hope you've seen so far in these five Great reasons for being women and men who come to Christ and sit at His feet and listen to Him. We see it all is tied to His Word. Have you noticed the repetition of this in the Scriptures? Jesus speaks of His Word. And so these are great values that come to us, not the least of which is answered prayer. Here's a sixth answer to the question. Stability in your life. Someone probably is here today and you're feeling a little bit unstable today. I'm not talking about mentally unstable. I'm talking about emotionally unstable, maybe financially unstable, relationally unstable. You're suffering instability in your life. When Jesus concludes what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, He tells this little parable. 
He said, everyone who hears my words, these words of mine, and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who builds his house on, and I love the way Jesus says this, the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall. Why? Because he had founded it on the rock. Now, the rock, of course, Jesus, but it's his word, right? Whoever hears these words of mine and acts on them is a wise person. Then he goes on to say, whoever hears this word, he actually says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them may be compared to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the same storm, the rain fell, and the Floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house with a totally different result. Instead of standing the test of the storm, this man's house, representative of his life as it was with the other man in question, it fell and Jesus said, great was its fall. What was the difference? One life is built on the word of Jesus, the other one is not. And we know, just because we know Christ, we're not free from trouble in our lives. We have problems. Job had big problems. He was the most godly man on earth probably at the moment, but he had huge problems. But in the end, his life stood because he ultimately trusted the Lord. And the good news for us is we can have stability in our lives, even when everything else seems to be coming apart in our lives. We can have stability. Why? Because we are listening to the word of Jesus. And he is the one who says to us, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you shall find rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we listen to the word of Jesus, and what's the result? We can be stable in unstable times, whether they're unstable times around our lives or unstable times in our culture, in the world, we can be stable. If we are men and women who sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his word. The foundation of the church And the individual believer is the person of Jesus Christ. Paul says that, that he could lay no other foundation than Jesus Christ. And then the same Apostle Paul, in Ephesians 2.20, he makes what may sound contradictory to that previous statement he wrote to the Corinthians, that there's no other foundation which can be laid for the church except the foundation of the person of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2.20, he says, God's household is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, is there a contradiction here? No, there isn't. Here's why. We know in the book of Acts chapter 2, among the activities of the newfound church, at the top of the list is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the apostles' teaching was the teaching of Jesus himself. You may recall, 
In John 14, 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send from the Father, He will teach you all things. He's talking to His apostles here. I will teach you all things. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance everything which I said to you. So when we open our New Testament, who is speaking to us? Even when we don't have the actual words of Jesus, this morning we're focusing on the very words of Jesus, like Mary was. But whose words are we hearing when Paul teaches? Or when the writer of Hebrews teaches? Or when the Apostle John teaches outside of the Gospel of John? Whose words are we hearing when Jude teaches? Or Peter teaches in First Peter and Second Peter? Whose words are we hearing? We're hearing the Word of Christ. We're hearing Him speak to us. One might ask, well, what about the Old Testament? Well, Jesus had something to say about that, too. In John 5, 39, He says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And then He says something remarkable. It is these, talking about the Old Testament Scriptures as we would call them, it is these that bear testimony about me. Amazing. The Old Testament? Jesus can speak to us through the Old Testament? Well, sure, He can. When Jesus is speaking to the apostles in one of His post-resurrection appearances to them, in Luke 24, 44, He says that the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's all of what we call the Old Testament, All of that testifies about me. And then this is wonderful. This is wonderful what Luke writes about what Jesus did. He says this, The Lord opened their minds so that they could understand. Do you understand the imperative nature of coming before the Lord and asking Him to open our minds When I come to my Bible to read it, every time I come to it, I'm reminded of what the psalmist prayed to the Lord. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. There's no way I will ever understand anything in the Scripture apart from the Lord opening my eyes without the Holy Spirit being my teacher. And when we come to a place like this, if you come with any expectation of learning from someone like me, Please understand, you will never learn anything from me unless the Holy Spirit teaches you through me or someone like me. We owe all our understanding to the Lord. We must never stand in awe of the person whom God uses to deliver His message. It is God who is to be honored and glorified. It is Jesus Christ who is Lord. And it's not any human being. Thank God for teachers of the Word of God. I'm deeply indebted to no telling how many teachers whom I have heard and whom I've read after. I have been blessed immensely. But let's not get caught up in any kind of personality cult anywhere. Because the only personality who ultimately matters is Jesus. He is the head of the church. We want to listen to His Word. Don't you want to listen to His Word? Jesus gives us stability. He gives us a foundation when we listen to Him. Now here's the seventh and final reason I found 
from what Jesus has to say. You do your own research, you probably can find many more. This is a good starting place, though, isn't it? It's so critical for effective witness about Jesus. Jesus says in John 6, 63, He says, My word is spirit with a little s and a life. I could not help but think about what Jesus said to the Philippians when I was thinking about that statement of Christ, about His Word being spirit and life. Before I go there, though, I'm reminded right this moment of what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It literally is filled with life. And First Peter chapter 1, we saw not too long ago in our study of First Peter, that we have been born again by what? The living and abiding Word of God. But in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and he says to them, Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may be pure and blameless, children of God without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the Word of life. We have the Word of Jesus, which is powerful to save. We have the Word of Jesus, which is powerful to sanctify those who have been saved. We have the Word of Jesus that is full of life. And Christ gives that to you and me. Do you see why the Word of Jesus is most important? Do you understand that the Word of Jesus is what we will take out of this life as it has been incorporated into our lives? A second question. In addition to the question, what makes listening to Jesus most important? A follow-up question is, what must we do to hear Jesus' voice? Well, we must do the obvious. Like Mary, we must be with Him. You may remember when Jesus had spent a whole night praying to the Father, asking for wisdom as to whom Jesus would choose out of a vast number of disciples. We don't know exactly how many disciples there were. A lot, probably in the neighborhood of a hundred, who were following Jesus. And the Lord was led by the Father to choose twelve men to be with Him. And the Scripture says there were three reasons He chose them. At the top of the list is that they might be with Him. Secondly, to preach the gospel. Thirdly, to cast out demons from people who were demonized. Isn't it interesting that the thing that Jesus prioritized is that He wanted to be with these people? How important was that? Ultimately important. In the book of Acts, after Jesus has been raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God the Father in heaven, the Scripture describes how Peter and John who were preaching the gospel. I mean, they could not contain themselves. They were filled with Christ by His Spirit, and they were filled with the Word of Christ, the Word of life. They were holding it out to the people there in the temple area in Jerusalem. 
And they were arrested and they were brought before the Sanhedrin. This august body of the leading figures within Judaism. Seventy strong. They were brought before them and they were given this dictate. Don't preach in this name. And then we know what their response was. With all due respect, sirs, we cannot help but preach in this name. And then, as these 70 supposed wise leaders in Israel got their heads together, this is what they observed. The Scripture says, they observed the confidence of Peter and John, and they recognized that they were uneducated and untrained men. But they realized that they had been with Jesus. Now, I am one for education. I'm one for theological education. My theological education was so beneficial to me. It helped me to grow and learn, and it opened a whole new world of understanding for me and how to get information that I would have had to stumble and fumble for if I had not had that opportunity. But believe me, there are a lot of people who have lots of education theologically that have not been with Jesus. You can get a Ph.D. You can get a double Ph.D. in theology and not have anything to say that's worth hearing. Why? Because you're not spending time with Jesus. All things being equal, a man or a woman who's well-educated who has spent time with Jesus, laid alongside one who is ill-educated, spend time with Jesus. I'm always in favor of getting that. So don't mishear what I'm saying, but please understand. These men were mighty for God. And we don't know the names of the people who made up the Sanhedrin. Maybe one or two names. Gamaliel comes to mind. But we know Peter and John, don't we? Why do we know them? Because they were with Jesus. They spent time with Him. And they listened to the Word of Jesus. Just like you and I. We are having the opportunity this morning, actually, as we're listening to these words of Jesus, to hear from Him. He wants us to be with Him. And to listen to Him. And as Drew read the parable of the soils, it's the only parable that is repeated in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Jesus speaks of it in this way in Mark 4.13. He said, if you don't get this parable, you won't get any of them. This is the foundational parable. If you want to understand the other parables, Jesus says, read and understand this parable. Read all three. And then in this parable, there are four kinds of listeners. There is what I would call the disinterested listener, represented by the seed that fell on the pathway that people walked on and Satan came and grabbed that up. There's some disinterested listener here, probably many. And the devil has already snatched this idea and the ideas associated with it away from you. You're disinterested. There is what I would call the disillusioned listener. Receives the good news of the Lord, the word of the Lord, with great joy and enthusiasm. But let some trouble come along, let some testing come along, and you can't find hiding or hair of that person. They're gone. Because they had it in their minds, and maybe someone like me put it in their mind, that if you just come to Jesus, 
Everything's going to be hunky-dory. No more problems when you come to Jesus. That's the message that's pretty prominent in American evangelicalism, and it explains the weakness in the Church of Christ today. There's a third kind of listener. I'd call it the distracted listener. Martha was kind of that way, wasn't she? She was distracted, as we've already seen, by her many preparations. She was distracted by her ministry. And we can get so caught up in our work for the Lord that we ignore the voice of the Lord. We don't take time to listen to Jesus. How in the world do you think that you and I can have any difference making if we don't listen to the Lord? And then there's what I'd call the devoted listener, dedicated listener. Disciplined, really, is the word. Disciplined listener. Why disciplined? Because that good soy represents the kind of person who's a fruit-producing believer, and that person is one who does what he or she does with discipline, with perseverance, is what one of the translations says. Perseverance. When times are hard, the person doesn't bail out. The person stays at the feet of Jesus Christ, listening intently, maybe not understanding everything which is happening to him or her, but listening to Jesus. And Jesus will clarify for you and me what's up. He will tell us if we just spend time with Him, listening. So we need to be with Him, be determined, disciplined listeners. And then... Colossians 3.16 tells us, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Could you say that you're letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly today? Can you really say that? It's the result of abiding in Christ. We've already talked about that. And it results in an ability to listen at a moment's notice to the voice of Jesus. Because when we let His words richly dwell within us, That suggests we will take time to memorize the Word of God so that we can meditate on God's Word, so that we may be careful to do everything written in it. And then the Word of God says we will be prosperous and successful. We will like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf never withers. And we will be people whom God uses in a mighty way if we will be this kind of person. And it all boils down to one thing that is sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to Him. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, Be very careful when you go to the house of God. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. This is our given opportunity to be men and women who listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. If we ask Him to speak to us and we're sincere, He will speak to us. And we hopefully will hear. Here's the third question. When should we listen for and to the voice of Jesus? That's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? It's really all the time, isn't it? 
daily, for sure. I could not help but think as I was preparing the message of how the Lord fed the children of Israel for 40 years without fail, day in and day out, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. He fed them every morning except on the Sabbath with manna. And it came down and he gave clear instruction about gathering in that manna. And he said, only gather enough for you as an individual. He didn't say everyone's to eat the same amount, but he did say everyone's to eat it and just enough for you that day. We need to be men and women who understand this. Jesus is the bread of life. His words are life. And when we come before Him, we listen. He nourishes us. He nurtures us. And He feeds us daily. I would go so far as to say, after having said that, that we should do it early in the day. Now, I know many of you are not early risers. Probably if you're here at 9 o'clock, most of you are morning people. If you're not a morning person as you're here, let me commend you for being here. You really stepped out of your comfort zone, probably your bed to be exact, to get here so you could be a part of this 9 o'clock worship service. But the psalmist says in Psalm 63, rather, he says, O oh God, you are my God. I will seek you, some of the translations say earnestly, really the word is early, I will seek you early. Why is it important to seek the Lord early? Well, I shouldn't even have to answer that question if I've done an adequate job of yielding myself to the Lord to let this message come through. It's because it's the most important thing you do today is to listen to the Lord Jesus Christ's voice, to hear His Word every day. Now, I'd like, I don't want to show of hands now, but let me just ask you, have any of you eaten today? Now, there'll be some people who have not eaten today. Because you don't get hungry in the morning. Because you're not a morning person, maybe. You don't eat much. But let me ask you this. Since this time last week, have you eaten? Well, sure you have. Probably you ate something every day. Maybe more than one time a day. We would not think about going a day without eating unless we were fasting. We eat every day, several times a day. Do we not? What about the Word of God? The Word of Jesus, if it's that important, don't you think we should be eating His food every day? Wouldn't you agree that's critically important? Critically important. Isaiah 50 verse 4 says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of a disciple that I might have a word to sustain the weary one. Morning by morning, He awakens me. He awakens my ear to hear as a disciple. So when I come before the Lord this morning, when I'm opening my Bible to the book of Proverbs, and the book of Isaiah, and the book of Luke, I'm not there to fulfill some sort of religious obligation. I'm there because my very life depends upon it. I need to have fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to hear what He has to say to me today, not just for me, though. 
This is where we go wrong. It's not just for me. And it's not because I'm a preacher here. Look, it's because Christ wants to use you and me every day. And He's going to give us something that's relevant to our lives. And He speaks to us about that will be relevant to at least one more person who is weary and needs encouragement and needs the Word of Jesus in his or her life. So do you want to make your life count? Well, it's not rocket science. It's making, spending time, listening to Jesus at the start of your day, every day. And I'm not talking about picking up some little devotional book. I'm not real keen on devotional books. And the reason I'm not is because it's like getting somebody else's drippings from his or her time with Jesus. Don't you want to have your private time with Jesus? Wouldn't you prefer His speaking to you personally as opposed to His speaking to somebody else and you just get a little bit from that person, read one verse and the commentary on it? Look, if you'll open the book and you'll go with expectation and humiliation before the Lord, He will speak to you. And your life will be radically changed. In conclusion, remember what I said about Peter and John. You remember that? When they came before the Sanhedrin? What was the perspective of these austere and august men who judged them? They were untrained, uneducated men. But they recognized they had been with Jesus and they had much confidence as a result. And then listen to what the writer of Acts says later about this same sort of man. Those men turned the world upside down. These untrained, uneducated people turned the world upside We wouldn't be here this morning were it not for those people like Mary, like Peter, like John, people like you and me. I hope you're getting a vision for your life. And this church could be part of a movement of the Spirit of God to turn El Paso upside down for the glory of God. If we join in that great throng of people who make it a priority along with Mary, to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to Him. Let's pray. Lord, we come before You. We acknowledge that we have been worried and bothered about a lot of things that don't amount to a hill of beans when it's all said and done. And we ask Your forgiveness for that, Lord. And we ask for Your empowerment to have a growing hunger Put that hunger in my heart, Lord, in our hearts so that we can make a difference, not just for a moment, but forever. Because your words, as you told your apostles, will never pass away, even though heaven and earth will pass away. We thank you, Lord, for hearing this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. God bless you. Hope you have a good week.